Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm really excited for today's episode. And I know I say that every single time I open up the show, but I genuinely am very excited about each of these episodes. Uh, today's guest is a leader in organizational change management and learning and development. She's been recognized for making an impact at T-Mobile. She's currently a manager of learning and development and organizational change management office within the technology organization at T-Mobile. Please welcome Maddie Newman. Hello, Maddie. Hey, Justin. How's it going? It's awesome. I truly am excited. I loved the preparation call that we had together to uh, to get ready for today's podcast. And I'm really looking forward to uh, to the conversation that we're going to have today. So let me start off as we always do and, and get your take on what you feel is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. Excited uh, for the conversation. Excited to be part of the podcast. Um, I love the question. I think it's a really important one and I'm glad that we're starting with it. Um, I think, you know, I don't know if it's the biggest challenge, but I feel like it's a really big challenge um, just around the siloed nature of organizations and how those silos um, really, I think, inhibit uh, feedback loops and communication, you know, bi-directionally, right? So from our, you know, upper leadership levels down to, you know, all employees who are, you know, on the ground, whether they be deskless workers or, um you know, just on the front lines, I, I think sometimes even if communication is trickling down, it, it changes as uh, and morphs as it moves along. And so I think, you know, sometimes the, the issue is the lack of communication and sometimes the issue is the changing of the communication as it makes its way through. Um, so I think that's that's a really big challenge. And, and I would say also an opportunity for organizations to uh, look at how to how to get that right and how to make sure that um, employee voice and sentiment from the front line is heard and taken seriously um, and how communication from whatever level of leadership is making its way to frontline workers as well in the way that they intended. You raise a really good point about silos inside really large organizations. And uh, just as you were describing that, a couple of discrete organizations come to mind, uh, you know, when we're thinking about big transformational initiatives. So I'm, I'm thinking of the actual business unit themselves, the IT yeah. organization that supports them, uh, perhaps learning and development teams, which may be, you know, rolling up into HR and may not roll into the business or into IT. Um, are there, are, do those three represent the kind of silos that you're talking about? And are there others that I've left out? Yeah, I mean, I think that those can be uh, can be silos, and you know, I, I think no organization is exempt from this idea of silos. And you know, you say that word, and it's almost like a bad word, you know. Um, and I don't know, you know, or the way organizations are structured, uh, silos are important, right? We can't just have this mass group of employees um, with no organization whatsoever, um, just sort of all all in this big blob, right? And so. You know, the nature of organizational structure uh, creates the silos, but I think if we're not careful about um, how communication is flowing among the silos and how feedback is making its way up and down, um, how information's flowing, you know, I think that's where the problems come. It's not the silo themselves. It's just um, being really intentional within those structures to make sure that, um, you know, they're prioritizing understanding employee voice, sentiment, feedback, um, you know, any number of different um, items there, uh, you know, we have to be careful and intentional or else um, we will see that, uh, that breakdown. Well, and, and the role for the change management teams is at least to some extent to herd the cats, right. And to, to be the traffic cop for bringing some of that stuff together. So I, I want to explore that. I actually want to drill down into that quite a bit, but I'm going to put that on pause for one minute because I want okay. you to share with us and, and the audience here a little bit about your background. So tell us a little bit about your role at T-Mobile today 
And, and I'd really love for you to dig back in and, and kind of tell us your whole journey and how you ended up in that role. So first of all, tell us about your current role today. Sure. Yeah. So I lead um, a team. It's, I would say, unique, uh, a unique situation where we have a learning and development team. So a team of instructional designers and you know, program coordinators and managers who are all focused on uh, employee learning. Um, and then the other side of the team is an organizational change management team made out of change managers um, who are helping, you know, support change throughout the organization and support employees through that change. So kind of both sides of this team work together um, as we are navigating change together, as we're rolling new things out, as we're responding to, you know, change that we're seeing proactively, sometimes reactively. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's sort of just two sides of this coin that I think operate really, really well together. Um, so I spend my day supporting an amazing team of employees as we try and um, mostly just create an amazing experience for our employees, for T-Mobile as a whole, um, and as well as just trying to, you know, stay ahead of what we see in front of us, especially as we're navigating a shift to hybrid work, uh, a shift um, in how we think about work, um, and then of course all of the items that come with digital transformations and, and all of the change that, um, you know, we're seeing across organizations right now. So does your organization roll up into HR since you have such a strong bent in, in L&D? I'm curious about where that rolls in in your, in your org. Yeah, for us, we are partners with HR. So we aren't um, in the same group, um, but other parts of the organization organize uh, their, you know, kind of learning and change teams differently. Um, so for us, we, we work side by side with HR um, as well as with our communication partners. And so um, we're really kind of, I would say, like a three-legged stool of, you know, employee support. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting as we've been kind of going down this path with this, um, you know, change management series on the podcast. And, and we've had a lot of conversations with folks like yourself. There have been, uh, it, it's interesting to see no two organizations are the same. So in many cases, change management pros are, are deeply embedded inside IT. Uh, in other organizations, they're not. And it, it's just really interesting to see how different organizations have prioritized change management and where they've, they've placed that function. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know that there's a right way to do it, to be honest. I think I see benefits uh, and opportunities to multiple ways to embed change management and learning and development. Um, I think just the key is uh, finding what works for, for you and for your organization. Um, and, and setting it up that way. But I don't think there's a one size fits all structure at all. No, I, I had a, uh, a new recruit on an interview about a month ago. We've, we've since hired him. So now he's a member of our team. And, and uh, it may be in part because of the story I'm about to tell you. When, when he was in our office, um, he put up something on uh, the whiteboard, which is a triangle where he put IT at one point, L&D on another point, and then the business organization on another point. And we were just talking about, you know, in my day job, we have a technology platform that, you know, we work with large enterprises and, and we deal with a lot of change management professionals. And so he was inquiring with me about, you know, which of the personas we, we work with inside the organization. And I basically said, well, all of them. But I had this epiphany moment when he drew that out. Visually, it was really uh, powerful for me because I realized that the change management folks sit right in the middle of that triangle. And that it was now I, I do not have a change management background. I really am trying to learn from all of you as we're going through these interviews so that uh, we can understand the dynamics that you deal with every day. But it just made me realize that part of what I hear from all the change management practitioners is that uh, they are trying to coordinate the activities between those three silos to make sure that the end result is successful among them. It, it, do you think that's a fair way for me to, to describe it and assess it? Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it. And I'd say your new recruit is, is on it. He's um, on the right path. Great, yeah, a great hire. Um, absolutely. I mean, I think change management really um, sits at the heart of, of that triangle um, for a reason, right? Because it's, um, it's not just looking at one specific part of the business, right? It really is the core of how we communicate with individuals, how we bring them along on the journey, how we understand pain points and opportunities, um, you know, what we assess skill gaps, right? And we understand, hey, you know, maybe our, the lack of adoption we're seeing around a specific change, you know, maybe it's actually not related to 
uh, a desire to adopt. You know, a lot of times folks really do want to be on board. They really do want to change, but they might not know how, right? And so then we go, oh, this is a, you know, a training opportunity or learning opportunity. Uh, So then the change folks might tap on, you know, our learning and development folks. But, you know, sometimes it is an issue of desire or, um, you know, change overwhelm, in which case, you know, we got to shift gears and we got to take kind of a different approach. And so change managers can't do that well, unless they're kind of positioned at that center, at the heart. Yeah. And I think it probably matters less which department they are officially reporting into. And it's more about um, them having the ability to reach across into those other silos to herd the cats and, and bring everything toward that common goal. Right. And, and you said something earlier that I agree with completely. Those silos are important because within those functional groups, they have a purpose for specialization and that makes sense. Yeah. But there needs to be somebody in the organization that's pulling that together and, and thinking about particularly in, um, you know, a lot of the digital transformation uh, initiatives that we're talking about, you know, what is that end employee experience going to be? What are we trying to, you know, solve from this from a broader business perspective? And, and how do we really make that a, um, you know, a positive experience for everybody? Absolutely. Yep. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about how you even got into this role, where you went to school and, and how you ended up in, in this job at T-Mobile. Oh boy. Are you ready for a, a windy road? Yes. We, I definitely want to hear that. Okay. All right. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I always start by saying, you know, I had a non-traditional journey, right. And I have air quotes up around non-traditional. Um, I don't know if I'll say that anymore. I mean, I think now the the traditional journey is that it is non-traditional, right? There is no uh, defined path, right? So I think, you know, there's an opportunity to normalize uh, finding our way on this road that we couldn't have predicted. Um, so yeah, for me, I uh, got my degree in English um, literature and secondary education from Western Washington University up in, uh, up in Washington State. Um, and with that, decided I wanted to become an English teacher. That was something you know, ever since I was younger, I was sort of thinking, you know, I either want to be an English teacher or I want to be a talk show host. And those are, you know, <laughs> similar and dissimilar in some ways. Uh, but I remember talking to an advisor in college and, you know, I, I don't know if I just didn't give the talk show host vibes, but she was, you know, encouraging me to pursue teaching. So um, anyhow, you're, you're I, just going to have to explain to me the similarity between being an English teacher and a talk show host, because that's not obvious to me. Help me understand. Oh, that really? connection. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, so I spoiler alert did become an English teacher. So maybe I can see it in reverse. But, okay. you know, a talk show host is really uh, presenting information. They are capturing an audience. They are bringing people along. Um, they are asking great questions. They are trying to get the most out of the folks with them in the room. Maybe I'm stretching, but yeah, um, no, I don't you know, think you I are as like, you're, that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, anyhow, fast forward, became a, a teacher, got my degree, um, and I taught high school for a couple of years and then I taught middle school for a couple of years. So I think I've taught pretty much every grade from six to 12. Um, and you know, I sort of had this crossroads moment in my mind where I thought um, I could teach forever. I really could. I loved um, being a classroom teacher. I loved the dynamic of making, you know, great relationships with students who, you know, had potential that they could or couldn't see. And I loved helping unlock that in them and helping um, see things that maybe they couldn't within themselves. Um, And then I also thought, you know, I'm so interested in so many things and I don't know you know, I don't know if I'll be a classroom teacher forever. And so um, I actually ended up getting, going back to school while I was teaching online, um, got my master's in organizational leadership and learning from uh, George Washington University. So fun fact, I never stepped foot on the campus until my graduation day (laughs) with my master's. Uh, It was all completely online. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think at the heart of what helped me make that pivot was just an interest in Um, how people learn, how people think, um, what makes people want to come to work, whatever work might be, um, and how do we help people enjoy the experience and, um, you know, eventually understanding that I'm interested in helping them learn on the job, helping them upskill, reskill potentially, and then obviously also an interest in helping people change. Um, So that, that pivot really led me um, into a space of, um, you know, organizational learning, training, and then 
ultimately change management. And then I find myself here at T-Mobile where I've blended both. And, um, you know, so I think, like I said earlier, you know, only in, in hindsight could I have seen that, you know, this journey ultimately fits together. Um, but while I was in the midst of it, you know, it was confusing. I didn't really know where I was headed um, at some points. Um, but I think it's that it was that diversity of experience that really led me to this space where I can understand, you know, where I feel like my, my value lies. Yeah. And, and knowing where you've, you've arrived at at this point in time in your career. And, and when you look back and review your, your education journey, as you just described, would you do anything differently if you could go back and do it over again? Ooh, the ultimate question. Um, you know, I don't think I would really. Um, I think my experience as a teacher really informed and does inform my, my day to day. You know, I don't think I would be the same person. I don't think I would be the same employee or leader if I didn't, if I didn't start there. Um, and I really do see, you know, I see the common thread. And um, if that wasn't part of the thread, it just wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the same picture. Yeah. But my wife is a middle school uh, teacher and I, I don't know how in the world, anybody <laughs> in the world does that job. I really yes. don't. That's what everyone says. And uh, I agree. I agree with why people say that it is any, any teaching role or any role in a school, right? Public, private, doesn't matter. Um, it's challenging. So, you know, shout out to all of the the teachers, the educators out there. Um, it really is hard. Like everyone says, it, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get back to what we originally talked about, which is the frontline workers and, and some of the challenges around that. So you, you're you know, answer to the question was some of the challenges that come from siloed communication or the lack of communication um, that doesn't necessarily always make it to the frontline workers. Yeah. What do you think if, if we were to pull together a team of, of the frontline workers that you've been around throughout your career, what do you think they might say is the biggest challenge they're facing today? Would they describe it the same way or do you think they'd have a different take on it? You know, um, that's a really good question. I think they might, um, I think they might agree, um, but I think they might they might frame it differently, which is that, you know, hey, as a frontline employee, I'm closest to the problems that you, you know, at the leadership level or, you know, at the, at the level of steering and guiding mission and goals that you might not be able to see. Um, and, and you should listen to me. I have ideas and answers. Um, and so I think, I think they might say that. Yeah. You, you just made me realize so many people have talked about that frontline workers feel like they're not always being heard. Yep. And that's a big lesson that I've taken away from just, I, I think we've done about 10 podcasts now on with change management practitioners. And this, this has come up often. And, and in fact, it even came up with some folks who aren't necessarily change management practitioners, but are, are involved in, you know, transformational initiatives with technology. And I think this is becoming a common theme where they feel like they are outcasts to, to some extent in terms of, you know, there are these things that happen at corporate and then there's everybody else Yeah. and we would all be better served. They would be better served. We would be better served as those folks implementing that change uh, if we could give them a voice. And not only would we probably learn some amazing things that aren't obvious to us when we're working in an air conditioned conference room. Um, but we would also better facilitate the change when it comes back around because they would feel like they've been a part of that, you know, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a, um, multi, uh, prong opportunity problem, however you want to frame it. It's not just one, you know, one thing, right. There's the, Hey, you know, we're not being heard. Um, uh, but within that, when you peel that back, um, that has a lot of, um, kind of there's a, that's dynamic, right? There's, um, pieces around, you know, we don't have the opportunity to be heard. There's the piece of we're trying to speak and you're not listening, or there's maybe even the piece of we are speaking up, you're listening, but the solution that you're coming up with doesn't match what we, what we shared or doesn't match the problem that we shared. So, um, I think that there's a lot there and I'm, 
not surprised to hear that this is a common a common theme. Um, I don't remember where I read it, but it, just this last week I came across an article that was mentioning um, an organization that had what they're calling a chief listening officer, which mm. I think is uh, pretty cool and maybe my maybe my new dream job. I don't know, um, but literally their job is to think about ways to um, implement solutions, um, you know, create channels that help all employees feel actually heard, not, you know, pretend heard or uh, maybe heard, but, but actually heard. You're reminding me of a situation this is going back a long time. And this is a memory that I think I've repressed for the most part. Okay. But, I'm glad uh, you dig it up. Back in the early, <laughs> sometime around the, the mid nineties, I guess I had a job at one of my first telecom related companies and uh, the general manager for the area had asked, had pulled together a team and had asked us all for some, some feedback on, on a few uh, questions. And I don't even remember the details of the questions. I just remember that we had spent, a f- you know, some time kind of pulling our thoughts together and we kind of met and did a couple of workshops on our own. And we had an opportunity to present these ideas back to the GM and the GM came back and basically just told us that all of our ideas were completely stupid and he stormed out of the room. Oh my gosh. It, it, it was it, that, that experience. I didn't stay at that company for very long after that. I can see for, why. For a whole bunch of reasons. <laughs> but you, you reminded me of that when you said, you know, listening is the first part of that interaction, but then we have to, you know, implement some of those changes and not think that we always know better than the advice that we're getting back from the frontline workers, right? They have a, an amazing vantage point. They are literally on the front lines. That's why we call them frontline workers. They're interacting with customers or interacting with the network, right? They are out there actually doing the work that all of us at headquarters are trying to support. And so to not take their perspective into account is, is just a shame. So listening is only half of it, but then actually um, giving their feedback, the credibility that it deserves and making sure that we're implementing that is just hugely important. Absolutely. And, you know, as we think about, you know, uh, organizations are grappling with how do we engage employees when we're distributed? We're all over the place. We've got folks in the front line. Now our, you know, folks in the office, they're all over the place. They're in office and at home and hybrid, you know. Um, And so now that we're so distributed, we need to also think about um, how do we engage uh, together? And I think that that act of listening and then actually taking related action, I guess I would say, doesn't have to be exact action, but related action that um, makes employees feel heard. Um, I think that's one way to really engage them and make them feel like they uh, are part of, of this organization, that they're valued um, and that their opinion actually matters. Yeah. Um, so, What do you think has changed for the frontline workers since the pandemic? Um, do you think the frontline workers that you interact with have, well, I know they've been impacted. Perhaps I should just ask how have they been impacted? Uh, what have you seen from your view? Yeah. I mean, um, frontline workers are amazing. They're, they're, they're heroes. I would say within this pandemic, I mean, um, they, when this first when COVID first hit, right. Everyone, uh, who wasn't a frontline worker got to go and kind of hunker at home and sort of wait it out and see what was going on. And, you know, there's much being discussed around how folks adapted digitally. And I think that's amazing. Um, but we can't forget the folks who didn't get to go home and didn't get to, to hunker and kind of wait it out. Um, and so there's so much bravery and courage in that. Um, and so, you know, I think from an impact perspective, um, I don't know that I can best speak on it because I would want to ask a frontline worker, Hey, how do you feel like you've been impacted? I don't want to speak for them, but I mean, I think really it's, um, you know, maybe even a a re-recognition of just how vital that role is in, you know, really they're, they're the heartbeat. They're what's keeping our organizations alive. Um, they're the, the folks who, you know, we're still out there as customers were in stores as, you know, folks were calling on the phone, um, they were there. And um, I think that that impact is, is huge. It's probably hard to quantify that impact. I, I feel like in the, in the business that we have during my day job, we've always uh, had a pretty good finger on the pulse of frontline workforces, just because it's what we're focused on. But one of the, the changes that I saw happen during the pandemic was a shift in terminology mm-hmm. to essential workers. 
And I thought that was a really interesting thing. Like that's a term that sure, it sounds obvious and intuitive now when we, when we throw it out there, but that's a term that I don't remember ever really hearing prior to, you know, March of 2020. And so I, I think that's really been pretty interesting to me is, um, I've always tried to educate, especially new people coming into our business. I've said, I've encouraged them to look around, right? When you get to the grocery store and you look at all this product on the shelves, how do you think that stuff ended up there? Where do you think it was manufactured? You know, how do you think that supply chain, you know, fed all the products, the raw materials into what became a product that's now sitting on the grocery store and you just grab it off the shelf and you go check out and you don't really think much about it right up until the moment when that stuff isn't there. And then all of a sudden we all start thinking back and, you know, supply chain is a phrase that everybody in in America and probably around the globe is using right now. Uh, So we have become increasingly aware and I'm actually excited about that. I hope that we're able to hold on to some of this awareness now and give the men and women on the front lines, the credit they deserve for, you know, keeping the earth rotating the way that it does and making sure that all of us who may not necessarily be personally involved in supply chain management or, you know, deliveries of, of food and beverage products to the stores that we can appreciate the role that they play in the economy. And I, I think that's, hopefully that will be a silver lining that comes from this whole just crazy experience that we've all been through for the last couple of years. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, nothing like, uh, absence, uh, that really makes us notice, um, you know, some of that invisible superpower that keeps us chugging along. I mean, yeah. absolutely. And it is an organization like yours, you've got, you know, the network folks, the men and women who are making sure that the network is, is running, you know, 24, seven, 365. Um, you know, you've even got supply chain folks that are making sure that, you know, new equipment can be delivered to those men and women who are keeping the net network running. And then you've got retail operations and sales operations and all of those things. And, and we do really just take that stuff for granted. So I think as, as we've contemplated, what are all the experiences of all of us? Like you said, uh, very well, they didn't have the luxury of, of doing their job from home. And, right. um, so it's, we all need to, to keep that in mind as we're thinking about these transformation, you know, uh, initiatives going on. And I'm curious, you mentioned this before, and, and I don't remember the word that you used, but you were basically referring to kind of change saturation. Yep. That's, a, that's an expression that I've heard a lot lately with the change management practitioners I've talked to. So when you're thinking about digital transformation inside your organization, how much does that play a part in how you're thinking about the change strategy for that group? Do do you look at that group and say, they're dealing with too many other changes right now, we should delay this technology project? Or how does that affect your thinking and and the strategy that you build out and implement? I love the question. I think it's, uh, it's one that we as change professionals are asking all the time. Um, And it's one that we're really trying to help educate the rest of the organization about this idea of change saturation or, you know, change fatigue. I think they're, they're related, um, but they're different. So change saturation is how much change are we pumping through the organization? Um, And also let's not forget all the change that's happening outside of the organization, you know, globally and societally. So that matters too. Um, That compounds the change inside the organization. Uh, but the change fatigue is kind of the, the result, right? It's, hey, uh, humans can only endure so much change at one time. Um, 2020, 2021 has, I think, tested and maybe even expanded our capacity uh, for change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know, it's, there's a limit to how much change an individual or an organization can actually go through at once. And so a lot of uh, what we do in our, in our team is help... Um, provide visibility to that um, via, you know, some dashboards, some, you know, spreadsheets in conversation, sort of pulling the full picture together and saying, hey, you know, we're talking about change A right now, but let's also consider we currently are asking employees to adapt to B, C, D, E, and F as well. And not only um, does that inhibit their ability to adapt to change A, uh, but it also inhibits their ability to adapt to B, C, D, E, and F. So what, what is most important or what are the top, you know, one or two changes that we prioritize right now, knowing that we can get to the other ones later, but we can't do them all well right now. You know, when you describe two things come to mind with, with the, um, the example that you just shared, the, the first is the, the silos, right? So that you described at the top of this conversation, which right. is that, Perhaps some people that are sitting within one of those silos are looking at their change that they're trying to implement or the initiative that they have 
And to them, it's fairly small and it may be actually fairly small, but when it's combined with all of the changes that are coming in from all of the other silos, then you just reach a saturation point where it's like, yes, your, your change isn't that big of a deal. But when you take it in the context of what the end user is experiencing on the other side of this, it it is to them. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's a diagram we've been using, um, in some presentations and, you know, honestly conversation at this point. Um, and it shows, uh, three layers, right? So we show, um, the widest layer we show it's kind of, it's the global, it's the societal change. And so it's all things around COVID and vaccines and, um, global health, um, you know, parents having to kids going to school and teach at home. Exactly. You know, parents are now teachers, um, you know, racial injustice and all that's being, you know, shared around, um, you know, in in that social justice space, um, all of that is sort of buzzing around us, right? And then we take the next frame in and we look at within our organization, right? Uh, You know, we've got digital transformations, we've got, you know, shift to how we think about, you know, remote work and hybrid work and, you know, whatever individual changes, uh, you know, companies are going through. Um, And then we come in one layer more and we think about person to person, individually, right? All our lives are full of change, right? You know, folks are adapting to new roles, you know, the family stress, friends, health of, of loved ones. When you zoom all the way out and you see kind of that three-layer view, it's overwhelming, right? And I think just taking that view and, and just sort of considering it is a really important place to start. I'm saying this sort of sarcastically, but what you just described sounds almost un-American for us to like consider all of that change as if it's some kind of burden. And and what I mean by that is it's like, yeah, well, we just got to put the pedal to the metal anyway. We just got to go make this happen, right? You're you're helping to raise awareness that you're absolutely right. All of those layers that you just described, it is a burden just in the normal course of every day, right? Yep, yep. And then- We've got change. I mean, your organization is is on the backside of this now, from what I can tell from the outside looking in. But you know, you just went through a massive merger of two of the major companies in your industry. Yep. There's a massive amount of change for people on both sides of that. Just that in and of itself, even if you're not personally involved on the integration team, you know, you have a lot of change that you're experiencing. And that's an added layer that's really beyond even the, the layers that you just described, right? That was a major transformation in your enterprise. Absolutely. Yeah. And the fact that it was, you know, able to be kind of closed and done in the middle of a pandemic is just uh, amazing. Never, never heard about it before. Right. Um, And so, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think that we talk about that as well as, you know, hey, that's still reverberating, right? Like, just because the merger, the deal is, is done, we're now, you know, one company doesn't mean that the change is over, right? We're still integrating people, processes, tools, uh, cultures, et cetera. Yeah. And to make sure that our audience doesn't think that I'm un-American, I, I feel like I need to explain just a little bit more about what I mean. I just think that sometimes we have a, a tendency in our culture and I think there's good, good about this. We tend to try to plow through some of that stuff, right? Power yeah. on, just push through it. And, and I think that's part of who we are as Americans. I, I love that part of our culture. Yep. And, um, but it also makes me realize that there are probably unintended consequence consequences, of that perseverance to, to push that through. And it, it may be insensitive and, and ultimately it may sabotage what we're trying to do inside the enterprise. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's almost, you know, trite at this point to bring it up. I think so many folks are talking about this, but one of the, um, I think gifts of 2020, 2021, this pandemic, um, it's given us this, it's turned everything on its head. Right. And we've got a chance to now, evaluate what's working and what's not working, right? And I think what you're describing, this kind of hustle culture of just get it done, just do it, you know, um, it doesn't matter how hard it is or what sacrifices you're making, just just go and do, right? Um, And I think now organizations and individuals are looking at, well, hold on, I'm burnt out, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Um, Do I want to do that, right? Do I want to live my life that way? Um, And I think organizations are, they have an opportunity to um, adapt to that. And I'm seeing that as well, you know, a lot more focus on mental health, focus on employee well-being um, in, in really serious ways. And so um, I think that's that's been a, a real 
benefit to come out of um, this really tough, tough almost two years now. I agree. I think it's caused all of us to reflect about a lot of things about work, about life, about the groups and the people that we associate with and, and how we're conducting ourselves. And so, um, you know, as we continue to evolve back into, you know, some state sense of, of normalcy, I think, you know, the backside is going to look different than the way things did, you know, prior to 2020. And, and I think that's neat. I think it's, it's for some changes that I think are really positive and there'll be other things that we, we wish were different and maybe some things that just get back to the way that they were before. But overall, I think we can all accept that we're, um, you know, our work and personal lives are probably going to be, uh, you know, quite a bit different for the foreseeable future. I think that's okay. Yeah. Agreed. Right. And if we, um, don't adapt and we don't change based on what we learned, then, uh, you know, what a missed opportunity. Right. Um, but, um, I think, to your point, we, we know a lot more now. Uh, we've had a vantage point to look at things differently. Um, and what we do with that next is really, I think, um, important. Yeah. My favorite change, I've talked about this before, but my favorite change from the pandemic from a work standpoint is we were early adopters of video conferencing technology at my company. Yep. And uh, the company originally began as a remote only company. And so we were using video conferencing as a way to bridge the gap. And it took a while to get everybody on the team to start turning on their cameras and to stop feeling uncomfortable when their dog started barking when the UPS person showed up and whatever. Uh, We got through that transition, but when we would still have video conferences with customers and partners, they were reluctant to turn on their webcams. And so, you know, I I could only affect change, you know, inside our company and, and really nudge people internally, but we couldn't do that with customers and partners in the same way. I would say one of the good things that's come from this is that, you know, this is new technology. We've had video conferencing tech around for a decade, right. you know, in a, in a mass, you know, scale capability, but we just weren't using it. And so the pandemic, I think kind of forced that change. It's a very simple and obvious example of just how things changed so dramatically pretty much overnight. Everybody just started flipping their cameras on. We got used to seeing everybody in the living room. I've done podcasts where we've had dogs growling and barking and spouses walking around in the background and nobody cares yep. anymore. And it's perfect that nobody cares. So now yep. we can, you know, kind of bridge the gap. We can have that uh, improved personal communication and see body language like you and I are sharing right now. Um, and it's just become the norm in, in a business context. And so I absolutely love that. That's one of the, the silver linings that will come out of this. And uh, hopefully there'll be some other tech innovation that will be, you know, greater adopted, uh, you know, as well. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I love, I love that I've gotten to see slices of, of my coworkers lives, right. It's, yeah. it's humanized them in ways that, you know, Hey, you know, in the, in a cubicle, I used to see pictures and maybe artifacts of, you know, kids, uh, you know, artwork and, and stuff. And that's amazing, but actually seeing someone's kid or seeing someone's dog, right. Um, that's been such an amazing uh, gift uh, to, I think, relationship building and connection, uh, team cohesion, all of it. I think so too. At the risk of turning the conversation a tad negative, uh, well, I, I want to kind of put you on the spot a little bit and ask you, as, as you've looked for some of the strategies and tactics around change management um, you know, that have been successful in digital transformation, there have probably been some things that maybe didn't work the way that you expected or uh, per- perhaps you know, strategies or tactics that you used that ended up not getting the results that you expected. Can yeah. I put you on the spot and see if, if there are any stories that, that really come to mind of something that maybe ended up being a lesson learned of, of what not to do? Oh, absolutely. Gosh, I, I feel like there's so many, you know, within maybe every change I've supported, I don't know that, you know, they're all, uh, you know, total flops. I wouldn't say that, but, you know, within every single change I've been part of um, across many organizations, you know, there's always an element of a gotcha or, oops, we didn't think about that. Um, and so, you know, I think um, thinking back to one specific change where we were um, implementing a new tool and uh, we recognized that due to um, our change management team's lack of understanding of the full organization and some recent organization moves that had happened, we totally ignored one part of the organization when doing our stakeholder kind of interviews and understanding, you know, their perceptions of this coming change, we just didn't know that they existed. We didn't know what we didn't know. And that was, you know, a miss on our part, uh, but also we've taken that learning now and we've been able to um, make sure that for any change that we are putting forward from from here out, we actually get uh, the current list of the org chart or the current picture of where where is everyone and, and has anything changed since the last change that we've supported? just so that doesn't happen again, right? 
because those employees felt left out, they felt not considered, um, and it wasn't intentional, right? And it was because we just, there was a change. We didn't know about it as a change team, which is kind of ironic. And thus we weren't able to uh, bring them along as part of our current uh, next change. So, you know, that one was unfortunate, but every change that's come after that, we now have kind of a new approach or a new tool in our tool belt that we whip out uh, each time. I appreciate you sharing that example. And I think it's a, it's a really good one. How did you find out that you'd left that group out? Like what was, who rang the fire bell or like, how did that all come about? I'm curious to hear that part of the story. Yeah, we, um, a leader in that team sort of uh, reached out and said, Hey, um, what about us? <laughs> right? Like, uh, are we, are we going to be part of this? And, and we sort of said, Oh, uh, who are you? You know, what group are you part of? And um, it was embarrassing, to be honest, it, it felt like, um, you know, we really felt like we dropped the ball. And so um, not only did we learn about that new group and, and kind of have this new approach moving forward, but we had the opportunity to bring that group along first in everything that we've done since just to kind of not make up for it, but just to say, hey, we know we know you're here now. We know who you are um, and we want to make sure that we don't ever leave you out again. So uh, come alongside. Um, so that was an added benefit, I guess. Yeah. I, I was curious about that. Cause I wonder how many times things like that have happened, even with well-intentioned change yeah. teams that just had an oversight. It happens. We're human, right. but I wonder how many times the, the leaders or, or the members of that other team didn't speak up and instead oh, yeah. just ended up being frustrated and disgruntled and maybe kind of started having some chatter inside the organization that wasn't, you know, super positive or productive. So I'm thrilled yeah. to hear in your scenario where somebody spoke up and, you know, kind of forced themselves into the conversation. I think that's actually the best thing that could have happened in that circumstance. But I wonder if there are other right. circumstances when people don't, um, you know, speak up to the same level. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure there are. And, um, you know, I think this would be a good opportunity for anyone who's listening, who's, you know, part of leading change efforts or who's part of, you know, transformation teams that um, you sort of ask the question, you know, who do I not know about? Um, yeah. Which is, I think, a hard question to ask, but an important one. Yeah, I agree. So we, um, I'm curious about the technology that change management professionals might be leveraging to facilitate what you do in your practice. So I'm not referring to the uh, the actual technology you're implementing, right? The new the, the new enterprise applications and stuff like that. But what kind of tools do you use to help be better change managers? Yeah, that's a good question, and it's one that we're um, you know trying to stay cutting edge ourselves. So there's some uh, you know I think a lot of change managers use a pencil and a piece of paper uh, or a keyboard and their fingers, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's the right tool. Um, you know, their ears and their heart, right? It's kind of the cheesy answer, but um, no, there's actually it. some some really interesting cutting edge things that are coming out. Um, as we talked about change saturation and change fatigue, um, there's some really amazing tools that are coming to market um, to help visualize and measure those. And, um, you know, change managers would input all the changes that they're working through into a system that then would populate and sort of show sort of this matrix of the living, breathing, change happening in an organization. And that's something that, you know, we're thinking about and trying to think about, you know, how do we best utilize this and bring this in? And, um, you know, there's sort of that question of, well, do people really care? You know, is this something that if we were to, to bring this in, you know, folks would want to see. So we're trying to be really, you know, careful and intentional with how we're using the tools and not just, you know, grabbing a cool new tool because it's out and it's cool, but making sure it's going to actually um, provide value to the organization. And I think um, to the point of our conversation earlier, you know, I think that would being able to visualize and, and show here's what's actually happening. Um, so that's, you know, a sneak peek of, I think what many organizations will be doing, but um, you know, it varies. I could see that being useful for a whole bunch of reasons. I mean, first of all, just for the change team themselves to be able to kind of measure where that, you know, the volume of change and change saturation is, is even at right now. Right. So to have some yeah. mechanism to be able to measure that objectively, I think is hugely important, but in light of just all the other things that we've talked about, uh, you know, interfunctional group communication and things like that inside a large enterprise, 
having a better mechanism to use to then communicate to all of your key stakeholders throughout the business oh, to yeah. say, Hey, this isn't just, this isn't just the change say, team saying, Hey, our team members are overwhelmed because that right. doesn't have a measurement value, but to say, you know, here's an objective uh, assessment of what the level of change that these teams are experiencing and to open everybody's eyes and minds to, you know, what's going on in the organization might help with that communication. Or I, I can't see it not helping with that communication. Right. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. How do you learn about new things? So obviously, uh, you know, you went back to school to get your master's degree, obviously heavy academic focus. Uh, you were a yeah. teacher, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but how do you learn and, and continue to, you know, evolve as a professional? Are you, you know, in the old days, a year ago, two years ago, we used to go to events and things like that. Um, yep. What are you doing now to, to stay up in your craft? Yeah, um, you know, I try and stay connected to people who are in different organizations who, you know, maybe are the same industry or even different industries. And I learn a lot, you know, that way. Um, I also am plugged into, you know, different professional organizations for change and learning, just trying to understand, you know, best practices in the industry, what's new, what's going on, and just keep my finger on the pulse there. Um, and then, you know, virtual events and virtual networking and happy hours and, um, you know, virtual conferences and, and trainings, you know, really trying to make sure that, um, you know, I'm challenging myself to think outside of my own current experience. And, um, you know, ultimately that's going to help me support my organization with, you know, new ideas, new ways of thinking, um, and also examples of how, you know, other organizations are tackling maybe similar problems. Yeah. I think that's, um, you know, the virtual events, I'm curious to see if, you know, in-person events pick up a little bit. It seemed like there was a, a bit of a trend heading uh, up. Yeah. I think the Delta variant started to slow that back down a little bit. So there were a few events that, that we were looking at participating in that just were canceled or were very underattended. Yeah. So hopefully as we get into 2022, some of those things will pick back up. But in the meantime, as we talked about before, there has been a shift. We're all more yeah. comfortable with the idea of doing virtual events and, and making sure that, you know, they can be productive. So it's, it's good to hear that you're actively involved in that. And I'm going to circle back around to that after I ask this next question, but okay. um, I am curious to get your take on what your favorite part is about working with technology. Um, you know, my favorite part is that it's uh, never boring and it's always uh, surprising, right? Um, I can never predict what the latest and greatest technology is going to be and how it's going to uh, improve our lives. And I love that. It's, it's a constant state of surprise and awe and, and wonder, I think, that technology kind of incites. I'm with you on that. I actually, I think that if somebody were to ask me that question, I think that might be the way that I would answer that. Well, I'm, I, I get bored easily and, and I'm stimulated by the frequency of change. And I know it's, it's interesting because I know that actually wears on some others, uh, you know, talking about the change fatigue and things like that, that we talked about before. Some people just want things to stay the same and be predictable. I'm actually very different than that. So I love about technology that it is constantly evolving. There's constantly new things that we can sink our teeth into. Um, what's on, on the backside of that though? What, what don't you like? What do you hate about working with technology? Ooh, um, I don't know. Hate's, hate's a strong word. I mean, I think I get concerned when technology starts to maybe replace parts of humanity that um, I personally am not ready for, yeah. whether or not it's a good idea or, you know, or not. But I, you know, I start to get concerned with, um, you know, I don't know, replacing the pieces of not not necessarily, you know, can a human do it and, a, you know, technology is replacing it. I think in many cases, that's a good idea. Um, but I get concerned when technology starts to interfere with um, human connection or um, some of those pieces of in-person uh, connectedness that I don't think technology should should interfere with, I would say. Um, so I don't know if that if that's a great answer, but, um, you know, I think that that's what feels true. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a, a, first of all, it's your answer. It's, it's okay yeah, to be okay. your it's answer. answer. So right. take it, okay. own it. Okay. Uh, but you, you know, what you said reminds me of, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Elon Musk, judge me or don't, whatever. But, um, you know, I like a lot of the innovation that he's brought, but I think one of the humbling moments that he's had as a, you know, a major global innovator, no matter what you think of him, uh, you know, his acknowledgement that they put too much robotics into their manufacturing process and that they found that there actually were some places where humans were actually better and more efficient and effective. 
right? doing certain tasks. And that's a little bit different than what you said, because that's not so much about the human bonding elements. Um, but I do think it's interesting that we have to recognize, yes, automation of all forms, robotics and, and other things are going to replace the need for us to do some menial tasks that are just, you know, probably just done more efficiently by machines. But yep. I do think there'll always be a role, um, yeah. you know, and, and we just need to be proactive in defining what those new roles are as, as automation continues to pick up, you know? Yep. Yeah. That's good. Well, I, first of all, uh, we're coming to the end of this and I, I want to go back to something that you just said when I was asking you about how you're learning, you talked, uh, you know, a lot about networking and participating in virtual events. So, right. uh, we have just now launched as of this week, something called the frontline innovators council. It is, cool. uh, the fee for entry into the council is your participation on the podcast. So spending the last 45 oh, wow. minutes or so with okay. us, uh, has now granted you access to the Frontline Innovators Council. So I am thrilled awesome. to, uh, you know, invite you and welcome your participation in, in the council. What we are doing is uh, really creating a community of folks that have all participated in the Frontline Innovators podcast. So these are folks that are uh, deeply involved in uh, technology uh, innovation and change management support for um, frontline workers in, in large enterprise. And so Very we're bringing cool. together uh, this group of professionals. We've already got a private LinkedIn group set up, and um, it's a place where we can discuss some of the trends and, and ask questions and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, pr provide a, a safe environment for us to, to all speak freely about some of the things that we're seeing in the organization. So I'd love to invite you to that. You'll get a LinkedIn uh, invite from us today. And we welcome you to that group and we're just getting fired up, but we've got a, a lot of exciting things planned for that group. So we look forward to you participating. Awesome. Well, I'm so honored to be invited. I'm excited to participate and um, yeah, what a cool idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. As I said, we're just getting started, but i um, really looking forward to seeing what we're going to do there. Um, so I do need to wrap it up there. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm certain that the audience has enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, if you have, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll see you on the next episode. 